Hey everyone, welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany. And this is the podcast where we talk about all things gymnastics. And today we discuss the Russian Cup and our thoughts on the Russian Olympic team, as well as give an update on who is qualified to Tokyo from the Pan American Games. And in the second half of the episode, about 30 minutes in, we have an interview with Carly Patterson, who is the 2004 Olympic all-around champion, and she shares a lot about her journey at the Olympics and life post-Olympics, so stay tuned for that. But before we get into it, we want to real quickly thank our Gold Level Patreon supporters. Thank you to Kevin K, Karina G, Maya A, Becca S, Nina L, DFP, Blake B, Elaine E, Rydog, Faith M, Kristen R, Lori S, Sabrina M, Amy C, and Erica S. Thank you all so, so much for continuing to support our show each month at the highest tier level. If you enjoy our show and you want to support us going forward, we have a Patreon where you can become a supporter for as little as $1 a month all the way up to $5 a month. And there's different perks and incentives for each tier level. So we have a link to our Patreon on our website, which is in the show notes down below. So go check out the support us tab to find more information there if you're interested. Now, let's get into everything that happened over the past week and our interview with Carly Patterson. We hope you enjoy. We want to start this week's episode with a quick news update. The biggest thing that's happened since last week's episode is we got, I guess you could say, a little more clarity on what happened at championships in regards to the whole trial petition thing with Morgan Hurd and Chelsea Memo. And last week, we were kind of talking like we weren't sure what was going on. Yeah. And now <laughs> now we know what's going on. Well, and the reason why we were talking like there was a possibility that the trial you know, selection process wasn't concluded was because that's what Tom Forster had indicated to the media following nationals. Yes, his words exactly were the petition process isn't complete because somebody asked, I think it was Nancy or Moore, she asked if the 18 people that were announced, basically the national team, was who was moving on to Olympic trials. And he said the petition process isn't complete. But then he also did say that as of right now, those 18 are going to trial. So he was kind of like committing to it and then mostly not committing to it. And I think he was doing that because he didn't want to have to answer questions about it. Yeah. Well, another thing he said, too, was that he wanted to talk to the athletes first, which is understandable. I think that's respectable, but also kind of misleading, too, because right after championships ended, Heath Thorpe, who was really good friends with Morgan Hurd, he was on Twitter, which now a lot of the tweets have since been deleted, but he was on Twitter saying that her petition was denied. Yeah. And, and it was almost, it was like immediately. Yeah. It's like, it, my guess is that the meet ended, she found out, and then she immediately texted him. So then he started going off on Twitter, and then we found out, was it a, a couple days later? I don't know exactly how many days later, but... Half and Half Out, who we had on our show last week, they have been doing a great job of posting all the information that they can find on this. And really, like, digging for an answer and, like, mm-hmm. trying to get clarity on yeah, the situation. them accountable. At this point in time, you know, USA Gymnastics hadn't addressed it, and yeah. everyone was still unsure of, like, is this process done? Like, who's going to trials? Like, are there petitions still lingering out there that are waiting for a decision? Yeah, like, is this official? We didn't really know until just a few days ago. So, um, yeah, half and half out, they asked Chelsea Memo on Twitter, and she responded and said that she had found out, same as Morgan, right after the conclusion of the meet. Yeah. So, basically, Tom saying to the media that the petition process hadn't been concluded 
was a lie. Yeah, very misleading. And the thing is, like, he has every right to want to talk to the athletes before talking to the media in detail about their petitions. That makes sense to me. I can support that. Like, I don't agree necessarily with just saying, yep, this person, this person, this person, all their petitions were denied, and here's why. Like, especially if he hadn't had the opportunity to really talk in depth with the athletes. Like, it sounds like it might have been, like, a very quick this is what's happening. Yeah. Like, here's your answer. And not really a conversation about it. So I think that's fair. Like, he he did kind of owe them that respect. Yes. But but then it's like, just say that. Yeah, he could have just said to the media... The 18 that were announced, that is who is going to Olympic trials. The petition process is concluded, but I don't want to speak any further on it or go into detail without talking to the athletes. Boom. That's all he had to say. Yeah. And I don't know if it's maybe he just kind of caught up in it or he was nervous i i truly don't know i'm just guessing i'm trying trying to give him the benefit of the doubt which maybe i shouldn't well he should have had an answer prepared because another thing a very important thing to know is that by the time the meet ended the athletes got into the press conference and then tom was at the very end we're talking almost like 50 minutes yeah. passed so he had to have known to conjure up some sort of response yeah he had to have known that he was going to have to comment on this so why him and you know other top officials at usa gymnastics didn't have something prepared i don't know yeah because he did receive a lot of backlash on the internet after this as he should have because it was misleading it was very very misleading to the athletes to the fans where you were all kind of just left sitting there like, so is this concluded? Like, what's going on? And mm-hmm. the fact that it took several days later for USA Gymnastics to even release a statement kind of addressing it also was frustrating. Yeah, why did it even take him so long to make a statement on it? Like, is it that hard to just right. <laughs> so say what, what happened? Well, what the statement said was... We wanted to clarify that petitioning athletes had indeed been verbally informed of the Athlete Selection Committee's decision on their petitions prior to the announcement at championships, though formal written notification was not sent until later in the week. However, Tom Forster had not talked to the athletes at length about the decision and had not asked permission from the athletes to share the outcome of each petition, which is why he was hesitant to share information about those outcomes in his initial interview. He did not intend to imply that the athletes had not been informed of the decision yet. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, um, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Because I just feel like, why not just be honest? You know, like, yeah, that's all we're asking here. Like, even if you can't go into detail about something or you don't want to go into detail about something, I would rather you just say that. Because instead, what he did was put out a statement that was very misleading and confusing for, like I said, the athletes, the fans of the sport, the media, um, people who are trying to report on this and write articles on this. Well, even for the athletes, because I think if you were to talk to anybody, if you were to talk to the athletes or anybody that knows the athletes, like everyone is just kind of not really sure what's happening. And we're all talking as if, like, there's something pending, as if there's a, a possibility that, you know, Morgan might actually end up competing at trials. And in the end, if Tom knew the whole time, Tom and the selection committee, if they knew that it was over for them at that point, why, like, why? Right. I Other than just not wanting to be confronted by the media and not wanting to have to answer for but the decision. That's but his job. That is his job. So, yeah, that's not a good situation. I'm glad we finally have our answer going into trials. I'm still not happy with the decision, might mm-hmm. I add. Um, I also don't know if we actually clarified this, but we can right now. It was Morgan Hurd, Riley McCusker, and Chelsea Memo who petitioned to trials, and 
Morgan Hurd and Chelsea Memo were denied. Riley McCusker was not denied. She will be going to trials. And also Aaliyah Finnegan. I've seen some people online talking about this. So just to clarify, Aaliyah could not petition because she competed all around at national. So her shot at making it to trials was with her performance on all four events at championships. So if you do all four events, you cannot petition. So that's a rule that I don't think everybody realizes. Yeah. So a petition wasn't in the equation for Aaliyah. It was just a matter of like where she placed in the all-around rankings and whether she was able to qualify based off of that score. Yeah. So it'll be interesting with trials coming up here in a few weeks. I'm sure Tom is going to be asked about this situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so looking forward to that. He's going to be grilled by the media because I feel like they're going to be pissed that he lied to them, as they should. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that. Stay tuned for that one. So moving on, there has been quite a few international meets that have been going on this past week, which is really exciting because I feel like me and you are so engulfed with USA Gymnastics and following everything USA Gymnastics that sometimes I don't get the opportunity just with my busy life and, you know, my work schedule to actually sit down and watch some of these other competitions. So one meet that did happen was the Pan American Games and two Olympic spots, individual Olympic spots were up for grabs. The first one went to Rebecca Andrade from Brazil. So that's super exciting because she qualified as an individual and so did Flavia Saraiva back in 2019 at Worlds. Yeah, because Brazil doesn't have a team this year. Yes, which is super disappointing. But I'm glad to see their two best all-arounders getting the chance to compete at the Olympics regardless. That was kind of my... My main concern, I mean, Flavia, we know she's had it locked up for a while, but with Rebecca, she's coming back from her third ACL injury. So her most recent being in June of 2019. And that really played a big part, I think, in why Brazil didn't qualify a team to the Olympics because they really were without their best athlete. Can we also talk about how she may not have been ready if the Olympics were in 2020? Yeah. I mean, there's a possibility she might have been, but it would have been, she would have been cutting it close. Yeah, this definitely gave her more time to heal up and come back even stronger. I think that this is a very exciting opportunity for her and one that, like you said, maybe had the Olympics taken place when it was supposed to, may not have happened. So I'm really, really happy to see that she was able to lock up that spot. Also, Luciana Alvarado, she got the second spot and she will be the first WAG or MAG athlete to represent Costa Rica at an Olympic Games. So that's also super, super exciting and huge for Costa Rica. That's honestly one of my favorite parts of the Olympic Games is seeing athletes qualify and make history and do things that have never been done before in their country, especially when it's the circumstance where it's on the men or women's side. Yeah. To be the very first, that's so special. Yeah. And I think... A lot of people weren't expecting that. I think a lot of people were expecting Jessica Lopez to lock up that spot, one of the two spots at least, and she withdrew from the meet due to a knee injury. So she has not qualified to the Olympics. This was her chance to do that. So that's really, really unfortunate and just hoping the best for her and wishing her a speedy recovery. We also learned this past week that Aliyah Mustafana has retired. It's official now. I mean, we kind of already all low-key knew this, but... Yeah, she's been coaching the Russian junior team. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we kind of figured, but, but it's officially official now. Yes, they had an official ceremony that was held at the Russian Cup, and as they should. Like, she's a queen. She deserves that special moment to go out, and not just, like, some Instagram post saying, hey... 
I've retired. She like, deserves the whole ceremony. She does, yeah. So I was really, really happy to see that. And congratulations to Aaliyah on an amazing career. She was so much fun to watch throughout the last several years. And she did so much for Russia. And yeah, 2010 World All-Around Champion. She helped the Russian women win their very first ever world gold medal as a team in 2010 as well. She was back-to-back Olympic champion. I almost said Olympic All-Around Champion on bars. I almost just said that. <laughs> She's back-to-back Olympic champion on bars. She's also back-to-back all-around bronze medalist from 2012 and 2016. So among many other things. We could sit here all day and talk about her accomplishments. But while she was somebody who during her time was always consistently at the top, she didn't really like waver a whole lot. Like she was somebody that you could always count on. The Russian Federation could always count on to go up there and get medals and stay competitive with the United States. Yes, and in an era where the USA has been so dominant she was right there yeah and when you look at like world all-around champions there's a break in the action for Aaliyah when she won in 2010 yeah that's a big deal and that's the last time that you know a non-american has won the all-around at world so she's iconic and we're gonna miss her so so much even though it's been a while since she's competed and she's you know we've kind of already known that she was retired but but still to have it be official and now to truly know that she is actually retired and that we won't see her compete again unless she pulls like a chelsea memo and comes back maybe she will i would love that we could hold out for that at this point i think we know it's possible i know i was thinking that the other day like I feel like... Retirement's just got a little less sad. Well, it's like you almost feel like you don't take retirement seriously anymore. Because at some point, you just feel like everyone's going to come back at some point. Yeah, because also, can we deviate and talk about this for a second? Like, Crystal Uzelak came back and she didn't compete in, like, a major elite meet. She competed in some elite qualifiers. But she was an elite gymnast back in, like, 2000. She was, like, a three-time junior national all-around champion in the early 2000s. And she made a comeback after having kids. And then Chelsea did it. And Oksana... Chisavina is still competing. It's like, I don't know. It seems like it's possible now. Like, we didn't think that was possible before, and yeah. everyone has just proven us wrong. So now when people <laughs> retire, it's like, are you actually retired, or are we going to see you in 10 years? Right. We can always just hold out for that small hope <laughs> that they're going to come back at some point. So we'll do that with Aaliyah, just to get ourselves by for now. We'll see her in 2032. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what else happened at the Russian Cup. The top five all around, we have Victoria Listanova first, Vladislava Urashova second, Angelina Malakova third, Lilia Akaimova fourth, and Alana Gerasimova in fifth. Those are the five gymnasts who I think are in contention for the Olympic team. I, I, I don't really see anybody outside of those five really getting either that's fourth spot on the four-person team or the individual spot, I think it's going to shake out with these five athletes either way, mm-hmm. no matter how you flip it. But first, we'll start with Victoria Listanova. So like I said, she won the all-around here, and she's been undefeated so far in the all-around this year. She won the Russian championships early in the year. She won Europeans, and then now the Russian Cup. So she's looking super, super good. I think her chances of getting on the all-around podium at the Olympics is is looking great. Well, she had a 57.965 at Russian Cup, which is a really good score. That's the day of the all-around final. Technically, they combined the qualifying score and the all-around final score, so that's not, like, her total score. But that's still a really big all-around score. Yeah, that... I mean, obviously, we don't know who the second American's gonna be just yet, but... 
point is that kind of score definitely keeps her in the mix for even potentially silver. Yeah. Could be bronze. It's it's going to depend, but that makes her the one that I think people are going to kind of keep their eyes on in terms of who else is going to finish on that metal podium behind Simone Biles. Right. So she did upgrade to a double-double on flooring qualification, which she crashed that. A lot of people were kind of like, why? Like, who made that decision? Because... Her double layout on floor is so consistent and it's really beautiful. So she switched back to that for the all-around final, nailed it. And I think that her having that solid performance on that second day is what allowed her to win the meet and continue to solidify her spot as that top all-arounder for Russia. And also, just a side note to add to how impressive it is. Remember, she was born in 2005, so she was not originally eligible for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. She would be a first-year senior this year, which she is, but she wouldn't, you know, the Olympics in a normal year wouldn't be happening. So she might just be going from, you know, a 2024 contender to on the medal podium in 2021. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And somebody else who I think is also in contention for that medal podium is Vladislava Yurashova. She got a 57.333 on the all-around day of competition, which again, that's a, a really good score. And she was solid throughout both days of competition. So the qualifying round and then also the all-around. She was one of the only top gymnasts who didn't have a fall on either day. So... That says a lot. Yeah, it does. And... So she scored a 14-5 on beam. That was on the day of the all-around final. I think that was one of her best performances. Aside from her bar event final performance, she won the event final on bars. And um, I do think that's one of her strongest events and possibly one of her strongest chances at an individual medal. She did also win floor at this event, but I still feel like her bar routine from event finals and then her beam from the day of the all-around finals was still collectively like her best gymnastics from this past week. This is where things are going to get interesting for Russia because they have a lot of really strong bar gymnasts and they also have some strong all-around gymnasts. And I think with the two per country rule, Arshova is one that could very well be in the mix, but depending on how things go on that particular day, she could also be two per country out. Mm -hmm. She is a very, very consistent athlete, so I think she has that working in her favor. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but then we also have Melnikova going into, you know, after qualifying round, going into the all-around day, she was in the lead. And she's somebody who, as we know, has been on the scene for a long time, and we, you know, we kind of come to expect a lot from her. Yeah, she's kind of the leader of the team. Yeah, she's definitely has the most experience out of anybody on this team. It's going to be a very young and experienced team, with the exception of Melnikova. She got a 56-6-3-2 on the day of the all-around final. She, like I said, came in with the lead, but then she fell on Beam during the all-around final. And I feel like Beam is the one event that, like, you just don't know how it's going to go for any of these gymnasts. It'll make you or break you. Literally. And I think that it reminds me of kind of what happened at Europeans even with um, Melnikova. Like, she starts out strong and she's, like, in there. And then she has a mistake and then allows somebody else to kind of sneak ahead. Mm -hmm. um, I think you could argue that Listanova was looking so good throughout. Although Listanova did have two falls technically on day one in quals. She fell on B. She also fell on floor on her double-double. So, um, but she's, Listanova is normally pretty consistent throughout. And I feel like with Melnikova, she... She can be great. She can be one of the best. But then it's like sometimes she just kind of has like these little issues. And I feel like the gymnast who was able to put together all four events or like 
almost put together all four events kind of always ends up sneaking ahead it's gonna be 2012 olympics all over again with the american women where you had gabby douglas jordan weber and ally ray's men all very good all capable of going to the all-around final but somebody's not gonna make it yeah it's all gonna come down to who does the best on that day in qualification so i keep going back and forth i guess with who i see being the athlete that advances, I feel like Listanova is going to be one of them. And I feel I, confident. And I feel confident with Melnikova, but I also felt confident with Jordan Weber in 2012. <laughs> right? Same. Urashova, like I said, she's so consistent. And that might work in her favor. Yeah. So we'll see. Stay tuned. I, th- I think that Beam is going to be the deciding event, though, for sure. And then there's that fourth spot, which... There's really two gymnasts that we're all kind of thinking that could make that spot. Yeah, so it's really between Lilia Kaimova and Elena Gerasimova. And actually, following the Russian cop, Rodianko said that Gerasimova was the one that she was really, like, considering for that fourth person on the, like, four-person team. Like, yeah. the, the all-arounder. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was a little bit interesting because... In my opinion, Akaimova, she's she's really strong on vault and floor. And I think those are two events that she can really boost the overall team score. So she's more, like, valuable to the team. Whereas Jarosimova, she really doesn't have the same difficulty as the other competitors, aside from beam. So she almost makes perfect sense in that plus one individual spot. She does, yeah. At least in my opinion. Like, I think that Jarosimova, she's super great on beam. She's the 2019 junior world champion on that event and has been super solid every time that we've seen her since then on that event. She's a real contender for the event final, I would say, and, and maybe possibly a medal, depending on how things shake up. The question is... Can she contribute to the team anywhere else other than Beam? I would say other than Beam, no. So the four-person team, if it were to be Listanova, Malnikova, Urashova, and then one of these two gymnasts that we're talking about, you have three really strong Yurchenko doubles on vault. If Lilia Kaimova's on the team, I would take Listanova out on vault and put Kaimova in to help boost that score. Bars, you would have Listanova, Malnikova, and Urashova. Beam, same thing. And then for floor, you would take out, hmm, I would say maybe Urashova mm-hmm. and put in Akaimova. Because Akaimova, remember, is a world event finalist on both vault and floor. And yeah, you could argue that she has little form issues and sometimes some landing issues. She's not the cleanest gymnast out there. Yeah. But she is really, really powerful, and she has that difficulty, especially on floor. I feel like she has a lot of variety and skills that she could choose from if she can figure out what ones are going to work best for her, which one she's going to be most consistent with. But I think that she would add more to the actual team score because she In has two, places. two events. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then kind of like we were already saying with Jara Samoba, she, I definitely think, would boost the beam score. And, and beam is an event where Russia can be really great. Like, don't get me wrong. They have all of their gymnasts that are very, very capable of going up and putting up a good routine and getting a good score. But that's also kind of the event where they can lose things a little bit. And I think when you're looking at the team competition, you you, you might want somebody who's consistent. So that's where I think the argument for Jarosimova comes in. So um, Rodianko said 
Um, in her quote, she talked a little bit about the men's team and how they decided that. And then she said, for the girls, it's Melnikova, Listinova, and Urshova, and likely Jarosimova. The choice is between Jarosimova and Akimova, but Jarosimova is a bit more reliable. So I have a theory that she just said that because she's trying to, like, light a fire under everyone and kind of, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it's like a tactic to get Akimova to kind of get her crap together and then, <laughs> um, really like make that final push for the team and, you know, find her consistency. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, like you said, it's going to be just as much of a battle for the actual team, um, just like it's going to be for the all around and the two per country rule. Cause you look at even for the event finals, like bars, um, beam. They have gymnasts in every single event that it really just depends on who hits. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what they decide to do for the team. But I think at this point, we're pretty certain about those three making the team. It's just figuring out that fourth spot and who fits the puzzle piece the best. I also think that Radianko is going to take all five gymnasts, which she's going to take Listanova, Melnikova, Urashova, Akaimova, and Jarosimova, and then a couple of days before the competition starts, that's when I think we'll actually see, like, who are they plugging into that plus one spot? Mm-hmm. And who do they have on the team? I could see that happening. And I think that would be smart, too. That way, you take it up to the very last minute, you see who's doing best, and who knows? Like, maybe Akaimova will really be a lot cleaner, or maybe Jarosimova will just be super consistent and kind of earn her spot on the team that way. Yeah, but the difficulty is what's killing me on the other events. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Be curious to hear what you guys think, but definitely let us know not only what your predictions are for the actual team and who you think the individual will be but also for Russia's medal chances like who do you think is going to be the two in the all-around final who do you think will be the two in the bar final like I want to hear everyone's thoughts on this because I think like we already said (laughs) similar to the United States Russia is another one of those top teams that has so much going on they don't have as much depth as the U.S. but there is a lot they're all very similar in terms of capabilities, I think yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And, and it's really, deciding who's going to be the best. It's really going to come down to, like, who can hit beam, to be honest with you. <laughs> to see, like, who not only makes the team, but, like, who advances to the all-around final, who advances to the beam final. A lot's going to be riding on that. Okay, so one final note before we get into our interview with Carly. Another mate that happened this past week was the Asajek Challenge Cup, where we saw Nina Derwal compete a new skill on bars. So it was a Nabieva to mixed grip. And I say mixed grip because if we're being real, that's what it was. It was supposed to be a Nabieva half. That's what they were calling it. But not really quite a Nabieva half. Because if it was truly a Nabieva half, the half turn would happen when she's in flight, when she's in the air. And the way she caught it was like she was twisting right as she was catching the bar. And the yes. twist happened when her hands were on the bar, which makes it mixed grip. Yeah, catch. it's like a super, super late twist. Yes. And if she would have actually done that half twist in the air, then you could say it was an Abbey of a half. But it didn't really happen that way. So I'm not sure if that's what she was attempting to do or if she thinks it's going to get credited as such. But yeah, well, and there's been a lot of discussion, too, about like if it'll be named after her and like all that. I know that Nabieva was kind of low key throwing some shade on Instagram and I thought it was funny. So I'll include it here. I'm not actually sure the original post this was on because I just saw screenshots circulating. So I didn't see the actual post myself. But 
Nabi Ava said something about like how that's not an abs. Like she literally just said that's not an abs. And then there's another reply like to somebody else. And she said, and I quote, you are very angry. I said that Nina makes a wonderful combination and a difficult one, but she doesn't do Navieva. It means you need to fix it a little with a like a shrug emoji. So <laughs> Navieva doesn't approve of Nina's Navieva. <laughs> now, do we know if she was talking about just the straight normal Navieva or was she talking about her Navieva half in air quotes? I think it's the Navieva half because that's what everyone's talking about right now and that's the thing that people are like I guess having like a problem with with her Navieva is that she's basically they're arguing that she's doing the same skill twice. One is just in mixed grip. It's not it's not a different skill. Okay, that makes sense. So I think she's just saying it's not like that's not I mean, I mean it would still be considered a Navieva, so I guess I don't Yeah, I thought she was critiquing the body position on the skill. Not to me it looked fine. Like I don't think she's too piked in the hips or anything like that. Like it's very clearly laid out. I will say I think her Navieva is a little bit more piked in the hip going over the bar than like Suni's is. I think Suni kind of arches and like lays out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So it's just a different technique, but, but they're both still Navievas in my Yeah, opinion. both definitely laid out. So I, I wasn't sure exactly what she was referring to, which skill exactly either way i thought it was kind of funny it is funny but real quick i there is another note that i want to say on this and nina's bars so she has a 16 7 start value and she also has a 16 9 start value or a 6 9 i don't know what people prefer if you say like 16 9 or 6 9 usually 6 9 yeah um a 6 9 start value and a 6 7 start value she told the belgian press after this meet that she is going to be doing the 6 7 in tokyo um, I'm not sure if that's just a tactic to throw Suni off because I feel like they're both playing that game where they're trying to like throw each other off. Yeah, like, did you see the TikTok that Suni had where yeah. she was like basically posting every skill that she can do or a bunch of different variations of routines and no one knows what she's actually going to do? Which is funny and honestly a smart tactic. So is Nina like playing the game now? I don't know. Okay. I kind of get that vibe. Um, if she were to do the 6-7 start value on bars, Suni, if she does what she's capable of, which is what she did day one of nationals, she would have a 6-8. So she would have a 10th kind of advantage over Nina. Now, finals. I believe day one of championships was the first time we actually saw Suni hit all the connections and get the 6-8 start value. Yeah. But I think that's what she's striving for. So... It's going to be interesting in Tokyo because, yeah, if she can get that start value, she would have a 10th, which isn't a lot. But when you're as good as both of them are on bars and they're very, like, clean and well executed, it might come down to that 10th. We've seen that happen before where it comes down to a 10th. So it might make a difference. So I will say this. I think the advantage that Nina has is that she's more consistent and I think she's more consistent specifically at getting her connections. Suni, I think... As we've seen, she does not always get the connections. She doesn't always go for the connections. But right. Suni has better execution, in my Suni opinion. Suni has admitted before that she will literally change her routine composition mid-routine if she's a little bit off on a scale. So she's off on very smart. She knows how in that moment, like, on the whim, she can correct herself and just go for the different routine. Yeah. Which is super impressive. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know. We don't know how things are going to shake up. It could come down to a tenth and who has more difficulty. It could come down to just execution, who goes for the most connections, who's able to successfully do all their connections. Like, there's a lot on the line with that uneven bar final. Um, it'll be really interesting to see, and I'm, I'm really excited. Um, 
still disappointed that Becky Downey is not going to be there because I also think that her bar routine would be in the conversation. Yeah, right she now. had a six eight start value as well, so totally in contention for being on that metal podium and challenging for gold. But that's a whole nother thing. Still not over it. No, I'm not either. Still angry about that. All right, so moving on to the moment we've all been waiting for, or at the very least, the moment that I've been waiting for my whole life. (laughs) An interview with Carly Patterson. Carly is the 2004 Olympic all-around champion. She also won two silver medals to go along with her gold in Athens in 2004. She got silver with Team USA as well as silver on beam. She was a part of the very first ever world championship gold medal winning team for the women in 2003, the world champion. Championships, and she also got silver all around at that meet. And she's just an incredible human being. And the reason that Brittany and I fell in love with the sport of gymnastics, I mean, I cannot emphasize enough. We've said this on the show before, but we loved Carly. And she was the reason that Brittany and I fell in love with the sport of gymnastics. I did gymnastics when I was younger and I wanted to be like Carly. I wanted everything that had her face on it. Like I was just so enamored. And ever since then, we've just been huge gymnastics fans. And it all kind of started with Carly when we were little kids. I know. And I said this to Carly after our interview, but Typically, we don't get that nervous when we interview people, but I feel like for Carly, I was pretty nervous, and I think it was just because, to me, she's, like, such a big person, and then I I would think back to my younger self, my eight-year-old self, and... Just think, like, my younger self would not believe that in, you know, the next half hour I'm going to be talking to Carly Patterson. Yeah, well, it's not every day that you get to talk to your childhood idol. <laughs> yeah, so so I definitely had, like, chills throughout the interview, and I was just kind of, like, looking at her and listening to her voice, and I'm like, whoa, it's Carly Patterson. Like, I can't believe this is real. And it was cool to talk to her, too, about her Olympic experience when you and I know the ins and outs of the Athens Olympics because we had it on VHS. and we watched it not kidding we literally watched it every single night we'd get home from school get off the bus run into the house and put it in the vhs player (laughs) like we know the ins and outs of that meet so just to hear her talking about it and you know sharing her experience it was just such a cool moment it meant so much to us too to be able to even have this interview yeah definitely a highlight in the all thing gymnastics podcast history so without further ado we'll stop blabbing our mouths and we'll get into the interview with carly patterson We hope you enjoy it. In honor of the Olympics coming up, we want to talk about your Olympic experience and kind of everything that led up to it. So starting with 2003 World Championships, your very first World Championships, you had three teammates go out, had a withdrawal from the meet, and then you were also dealing with an injury yourself during that meet. Despite all of that, you guys still went out there and won gold, the very first ever gold medal for Team USA at a World Championship. So how was that experience for you? (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was a pretty crazy one for sure. And that's probably one of my, one of my most favorite memories, um, and competitions from my career because of all of that adversity that we faced. Um, it was crazy because yeah, Ashley Postel got sick with the flu, uh, right when we got there. So she was out and then Anya tore her ACL and then Courtney tore her Achilles. And then, yeah, I was still dealing with a fractured elbow and was, I don't know, maybe like 50%. Um, you know, I did, I didn't, uh, 
I, I wasn't going to give my, my spot to compete and <laughs> being in elbow pain and everything else. And I was just like, I told my coach, I was like, I'm, we're not going to go to the doctor. I don't want to know what's going on. I want to compete. We're going to do everything me and you can to, uh, you know, make this elbow work. And, um, yeah, like I've worked way too hard and way too long for this moment. And I am not giving it up, you know, and I felt so bad for the other girls that, you know, really couldn't compete. And so, you know, at that point, um, I think we could have all just kind of mentally checked out and thrown in the towel and been like, you know what, we have no shot. Like we've lost half of our team, you know, or most of our team. And we, we had to bring in every alternate we had. And I think we could have just gotten really bummed and thought like, you know what, this guess it's not going to be our year, you know, but I think really, truly like coming together as a team when gymnastics is, you know, such an individualized sport for the most part, but I think coming together as a team and really lifting each other up and pushing each other to do our very best in that competition. You know, I think you could just see the, the hunger and the, and the want in everybody's face, um, in that, in that competition and that team competition, especially that we are going to leave it all out on the mat, whatever we had left. And that's exactly what we did. And luckily we had, um, you know, really deep us team too, at that point. So bringing in those alternates, they were just as amazing. And so we were really able to just rally together in the face of all of that adversity and, um, yeah, and still make history and, you know, be that first women's U.S. team to win the gold. So it was pretty amazing. And as you can see, probably uh, why now one of my favorite, you know, memories from my career. So when did you actually fracture your elbow? Was it before Worlds or was it during? It was before. Um, I don't remember exactly how long before it was, but I just... I was having a lot of elbow pain and, you know, as an elite level athlete, um, you are, you know, always dealing with aches and pains and little things that you just kind of have to push through and they'll get better. But, um, this just wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. And so we finally were like, okay, let's go to the doctor, see what's going on. But we were really, really close to world championships. It was like, I think we were probably a little bit before six weeks, but we were getting real close. And, um, then when the doctor kind of like dropped that bomb that like, Hey, your elbow's fractured and you need six weeks off. And we were like, Oh, <laughs> like, that's not going to work. <laughs> exactly. What we said, like, that's not going to work doc. Um, so <laughs> kind of created our, you know, our own plan. And I did, we did give it a few weeks of some good rest, but, uh, we just tried to kind of like, you know, do a little, little bit less than what he had told us to do and, and make it work. And luckily it did, but, um, it did come, did come back home and, you know, it was, it was definitely fractured and ligaments were unattached. And so, um, you know, yeah, competing on a broken elbow and everything else was pretty crazy, but, um, yeah, then went in to have that surgery and, uh, got a couple screws and ligaments reattached here and three month recovery, you know, until I was able to do, uh, routines and, and all of my skills and stuff again. And yeah, that was actually a scary moment though, because, we were less near away before the Olympics at that point. And you're, you know, you need every moment to prep, to prep and prepare for the Olympics. And so it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I never dealt with a surgery or um, having to come back from something like that or an injury like that. So it was, it was a little bit scary. I didn't know if I was going to still have trouble with my elbow or if I was going to come back and be able to do the same things um, and be the same Carly. And, you know, luckily came back better better and stronger than ever, um, with the help of, you know, doctors and my coach and all of that. So, yeah. 
Well, yeah. despite all of that, you going into 2004, you were one of the favorites, I would say, because you got silver at Worlds the year before, um, a two-time American Cup champion. You ended up becoming the national champion in 2004. So did that like help you? Did you like the pressure or did you feel like it was a lot to handle kind of going into that Olympic cycle, being the one, at least in the United States, that everyone was kind of, you know, watching? Yeah. You know, I, I did like the like knowing that I was one of the favorites. Um, I think that was just a little bit of a help in, in pushing me and, and knowing that I was good enough to compete with those, with all the, those girls and from other countries and everything. Um, but at the same time, after, after tr Olympic trials and falling twice, or both days on beam, um, people kind of stopped talking about me <laughs> and it was like, Oh, I don't know if Carly can come back from that. And, um, the focus then kind of became on both Courtney's because they went one and two in trials and I, I tied, um, but like I, for whatever reason, the, the rule breaker tie or something, I was like, not the one named to the team automatically, yeah. um, like those first two spots. And so, it, it ended up being a blessing in disguise that it took some pressure off me because I did go back home after that. And I didn't have uh, the media and newspapers and whatever, like up in the gym, trying to do all these little spots and, you know, film and, and stuff. Um, so it was kind of like, I was able to go back to the gym and just focus on, you know, what had happened at trials and how to not make that happen again. And just, you know, get mentally prepared and, and strong for, the actual, you know, Olympics. Um, I liked that, but at the same time, it, it, and to answer your question, like too, I was, I was super mad. Like I wanted to be named on that spot. Um, and just have that already behind me, like, okay, I'm on the Olympic team, whatever. I don't have to worry about it. Right. Um, but like I said, it ended up being such a blessing in disguise that at the moment and at the time I was mad and I hated that. But looking back, I was like, that was great. That was a blessing. Yeah, a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about how the team was announced because a lot of people have a lot of opinions on this because it was done on live TV and the cameras were kind of focusing on the girls who didn't make it. And of course, you kind of got the better end of the deal having made the team, but I still wanted to know your perspective on that and also what you were thinking and feeling during that. Was there like nerves for you thinking like, what if I don't make it? Yeah, absolutely. Um it was kind of a, a terrible way to do it. <laughs> it was very like climactic and anticlimactic at the same time, because, you know, we were at the ranch and it was just like this, not a great setting. Um, they had know, like these bleachers sitting out for you guys to sit on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what am I watching? But, um, you know, to just then see like, from, from previous ones and what they do now to like have that big celebration at trials and like they call the girls up that make it right and they're all right there on the floor. They do confetti, the crowd, whatever. And, you know, we didn't have any of that. It was like they were literally like we were all sitting on the floor, like watching them debate and talk. Like we could see them through the window. Yeah. Um, and we're just like, what are they saying in there? You know, like who's going to make the team? And once again, like I said before, we still, we had such great depth. Uh, so we could have made several Olympic teams, I feel like um, in 2004. And so, you know, you, you are always wondering, like you think you're, you know, you have a spot on that team, but you're, you're not for sure. And you're not saying you do until they officially call your name. Right. And so we're all waiting and, you know, we, once they finally like let 
you know, call the team, call your name. You want to celebrate, you want to be excited and happy and show those emotions, but yet you're then surrounded by all the girls right next to you that did not get their name called that you were training with. Like my best friend and training partner was Holly and she didn't get called. And, um, you know, just all, all the other, all the other ones that did not get a position. And so it was such a weird feeling of like, I want to be excited, but I'm like devastated for these other girls and for my teammate. And I don't know how to celebrate, how to show it. Like, do I act excited? Do I not act excited? So yeah, it was kind of terrible. (laughs) I'm glad they don't do it like that anymore. Just first of all, just for like almost the privacy and the respect of the athletes. But then also I feel like when you make an Olympic team, like you want a big moment like they have now where the confetti is falling yeah. and the crowd is like yeah. screaming for you. And yeah, I feel like your like Olympic cycle, it was just weird. And I'm like, well, like who thought it was a good idea? It was set up like a suspenseful drama. And then you're like watching the girls that didn't make it. And then the girls that did, and it's like, are we supposed to be happy? Are we supposed to be sad? No one knows. <laughs> yeah. Like totally trying to capitalize on just like a, that drama and just yeah. those, those emotions and feelings. And it was, yeah, that was not good. That was not fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that they learned their lesson because they haven't done it again since. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so once you made the team, I guess, what was your schedule like from that moment until the Olympics? Like as far as like your training and kind of like preparing for the Olympics, what was your schedule like? If you can remember. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's getting quite in the, the rear view mirror here. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, our, our ske- my schedule is pretty much, uh, about the same. I want to say, um, you know, still training probably just as many hours or, you know, close to it. Um, we're obviously in the summer, so like I didn't have school. So I might've done like, it was still probably about seven hours of training every day. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys leave for Athens basically right after the team was announced or did you stay and do like a training camp? Cause I know like recent years, they've all stayed at the ranch and they do like a training camp and then they leave. Did you guys do that? Yeah, we did. Um, I think we went, I want to say we went home. <laughs> can't believe I can't totally remember this anymore. Um, I want to say we went home first for like two weeks, um, okay. and trained for like two weeks back in our gym. And then we went back to camp and then trained another like two weeks there and then left for Athens altogether. Okay. So yeah, I think that was what the the plan was like. Okay. So just a couple more weeks to get ready on your own before coming together as like the Olympic team and, um, and then getting ready kind of in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's nice too, that you got to see your family a little bit before you left for the Olympics, because right. now it's like you make the team and then you're gone for like a month or more, depending on yeah. the experiences and stuff after. So yeah, yeah, it's nice that you got to see your family and stuff too, probably before you actually left for the Olympics. Absolutely. For sure. I, um, I'm a big homebody. And so it was, it was important to be able to just get that last bit of support and that feeling from like my mom and my sister who, um, you know, we all lived in tech, we lived in Texas. And, um, so it was, it was good to see them and be with them like right before leaving, because yeah, you don't get to see them for a while. And, and it's a lot, (laughs) it's a lot when you're that young. So, so did your whole family get to go to Athens to watch you? Um, my mom went and, um, her three sisters and like a distant, like third cousin or something that I didn't even know. <laughs> how, did, how did they get invited? <laughs> <laughs> 
know what? My mom, um, my mom and sisters, um, and my, my mom's family, like they always said, if I ever made the Olympic team, like when I was young and still living in Louisiana, like you're thinking, okay, there's no way this girl's going to actually ever make the Olympics. Right. So they're promising all these things. And I'm, you know, young and they're like, if you make the Olympics, Carly, we will be there. We are going, you know, whatever. And so they just were fulfilling their promise. Yeah. <laughs> they all made awesome. it happen and they, um, yeah, they bunked up together and, um, got to do all the fun stuff in Greece while I was training and competing and yeah. having all the nerves. They were like sightseeing and, um, you know, having wine on a patio and you know, all <laughs> yeah. So what was the feeling for the team as you guys were heading into team finals? Obviously you were the reigning world champions. Was there kind of an expectation that you guys were going to win the golds? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, coming off of that world and knowing what we are capable of for sure. And, uh, I think we were all feeling that pressure too, um, to kind of deliver and to, you know, keep that, keep that going and, and win the gold. And I for sure definitely felt that pressure and, um, you know, and wanted that for all of us. And it was, that was the most pressure filled night for me, for sure. Just because you didn't have the, the hopes and dreams of just yourself on your shoulders. You had the hopes and dreams of, you know, your other teammates too. And you, you know, we were, I think we were all feeling that. And so I think that's kind of what, one of the things that caused me to make some uncharacteristic mistakes that night, mm -hmm. because yeah, instead of just going out there and doing what I knew how to do and, you know, not thinking about other people or just, you know, the, the pressure from others, just like going out there, focusing on me. I think I was, um, you know, yeah, I let the nerves get to me on team night for sure. You know, and then, and then the rest of the, the time I was like, I can't do that. Like, I gotta let that go. <laughs> that is not, not, not working well for me. So, um, yeah, that was, that was tough, you know, because you're, you're thinking like, oh man, we won. You, you want to be excited because you won the silver medal in the team at the Olympic games. Like that's amazing. Right. And then we're all like sitting there, like kind of pissed because, you know, we know we didn't go out there and all do the performances that we were totally capable of and, um, coming off worlds and stuff too. And I think we were all, you know, pretty, pretty dead set on like, we can, we can do this. We can, we can win the gold. We're going to go out there and win the gold, you know, and then for it to not happen, we we're all pretty disappointed, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is hard because like any Olympic medal is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. But I, I do feel like the, the media and sometimes even probably the coaches, they put a lot of pressure on you guys to win gold at any meet you go to, especially so, when you're coming in as a world champion. Yeah. It's like, like there's this expectation right. that you're going to win. So yeah, that's a hard feeling I would imagine. Cause like a silver medal at the Olympics is still a really big deal, but then you also right. feel like all this pressure from everyone else, like you better win gold is the only thing that matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure and a lot of expectation to, to have on, on your shoulders for sure. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So moving on to the day of the all around final, what do you remember about that day, like outside of the competition? So like waking up in the morning, knowing it is like going to be one of the biggest days of your life, it, whether you won or you didn't win, like it was a pretty big day regardless. Do you yeah. remember anything about what you were feeling that morning as you got ready for the competition? Uh, yeah, I was, you know, we got up that morning and, uh, went and had a practice, um, and practice didn't go well. Um, and I didn't sleep well that night before either. I just, it was hard to fall asleep and, 
you know, we had roommates, so you hear every little breathing or snoring or tick or talk or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just, you know, my brain probably going 90 to nothing that night thinking about, you know, the, the bigness of, uh, that next day. So yeah, got terrible sleep. Like my coach knew it immediately when, uh, we met to, you know, go for the training and he was like, Carly, oh my, like, like about my dark circles under my eyes. So I was so tired. He's like, what happened? I was like, I did not sleep good. Oh, um, no. Yeah. So he was like, it's gonna be okay. Like he just reassured me like, that doesn't matter. It's fine. We're going to get a training in. And I want, when we're done, like, I want you to go take a nap and we're going to wake up and we're just, we're going to do it, you know? And so that's what I did. And like I said, I didn't, I didn't have a great training, um, you know, which is one of those things too, where you, you want to have a great training. So that way you're like feeling super confident going into that night and right. uh, you're like, I got this, but I just trusted what he said. And I, um, I remember going back after the workout, um, you know, got a good lunch and, um, took my nap and, felt good. Like I felt refreshed and ready to go when I woke up and was getting ready, you know, putting the glitter in my hair and the leotard on and the USA warmups on. And I remember calling my mom too, to just get some last minute, um, just encouragement. Um, and so that really helped as well. And I was like, she's like, just go out there and do what you know how to do. You got this. And, um, you know, and I've, <laughs> I've joked about this before too, but like, going, uh, getting on the bus, putting my Ashley Simpson CD and my Discman. And it's so 2004. Right. <laughs> it's like, tell me it's not 2004 without telling me it's or whatever. I know all the young <laughs> listeners that are listening to this are going to be like, what is that? <laughs> exactly. What's a Discman? What's a CD? And who is Ashley Simpson? Yeah. I, all yep. <laughs> Lots of things uh, known in that sentence. Right. Um, so yeah, she, you know, was getting, getting pumped up to my music and stuff. And then, um, our bus broke down on the highway and oh, really? uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know this. Yes. Our bus broke down on the Athens highway on our way. It starts smoking. And so we're all like, uh, you know, and like Corkina's on there and me and Courtney and, uh, Zane Nan from China, like all of kind of like our, our rotation group was like yeah. on that bus and um we're kind of all looking around like okay it's smelling like smoke smoke's flying through back through the windows and everything else so they pull over and we all have to get out and we're on the side of the highway so waiting Lana was probably bus to come. oh for <laughs> sure oh yes for sure um and I was like on the side with my once again disposable camera which they'd be like what's that um <laughs> you know, taking pictures, like we're hitchhiking, you know, just trying to make light of the situation, me and Courtney, um, you know, and trying to like laugh it off because at the same time, we're like, okay, well, like we got to get to the arena, like warmups are going to be starting. We're not going to have that time to just kind of like rest for a second, take it all in before we got to like get going. And, but once again, I think that that probably ended up being a blessing in disguise to just get in there and like get going. And that was one of those things that like took your, like, you're like, wait, how does your bus break down at the Olympics on your way to the biggest night of your life? Like, right. Who can make that up? But it was one of those things where it was like a, I think it could either be a good distraction if you let it or a bad distraction. And for me, it ended up being a good distraction because it just took my mind off of all of that pressure and, and what, what we were like on our way to go do. 
Um, and so I think it ended up being, being a big help. And especially, like I said, making light of the situation and, you know, not, not taking it like this, oh my gosh, like, are we going to make it or yeah. you know, whatever else? So we get there and it, I mean, we were right into warmups and like getting going. Like we, we had to wait for our bus for a little bit in the yeah. heat. So <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Uh, I couldn't imagine. That is so crazy. <laughs> I know like, what, out of all the meets in your life to have that happen, of course it's the Olympic all-around final. Yeah, of course it would be. I mean, that's how life works. <laughs> Gotta try and throw you off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Life's throwing you some curveballs, you know, yeah. what are you going to do with it? <laughs> So can you walk us through the meet as much as you remember of it and kind of what you were thinking and feeling as the meet was progressing? And did you kind of have a sense of where the meet was headed? Uh, yes, I was watching the standings, the, you know, the, the scores, everything the whole time I, you know, wanted to know where I was at, uh, what scores I needed to get, um, if that was possible on that event, you know, um, and so starting on vault, I did a great vault, but I, like my foot landed out of the white line. And so I knew that was going to be a bad deduction, um, and not help me in the score that I needed to get on vault, just, just kind of like help out for the rest of the night. Right. So, um, I was pretty pissed about that, but you know, Afghani are always taught us to never take a, a mistake or a fall or a bad routine into the next, um, to the next event or to the next competition, I always look at that next thing as a fresh start. Yeah. Uh, but that's a little bit easier said than, said than done. Um, so, you know, we move on to bars, try to forget about it. And I know if I had a clean routine on bars, you know, bars was never my strong event, but I had a decent routine. And I knew if I hit a clean routine, that was going to help out. And so I did. I felt really great about my bar routine. And then, um, going into beam, you know, that gave me a little bit of confidence too. I'm like, okay, two rotations down. Um, you know, beam was my best event, my favorite event. And it was kind of, it's my opportunity to, you know, go out there, do a great routine and hopefully, um, you know, nail the Patterson dismount. That was my beam dismount and, you know, hopefully impress the, impress the judges a little bit. Um, and so I just remember going up there and, um, looking at all the judges kind of like taking a deep breath before, you know, I knew I was going to salute and I saw our USA judge, but she wasn't. And I was like, <laughs> I'm mouthed to her. I was like, are you judging? And she was like, no. And I was like, like my heart kind of sank for a second because I was like, oh my God, I, I have no USA judges. Well, that sucks, you know? And, um, <laughs> later she, she found me after that after uh, that routine, after the competition, she was like, I knew you were going to totally nail it after you just like started mouthing to me, uh, you know, right before you about to go up on beam. She's like, I knew you're totally fine. Um, but I was like, yeah, I started kind of freaking out for a second. Um, <laughs> but anyways, went up there and, you know, did the beam routine of my life. Like, I don't know much I could have done differently and stuck the Patterson, which was yeah. like, it's literally flawless. Still today, like best ever. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the coolest moments. Um, the coolest moment of that night to be able to like go out there and stick, you know, the roundup back handspring double Arabian and, and like knowing how difficult that skill is and like knowing that it was my skill and to just go out and stick it when it mattered most and kind of do that routine of your life when it mattered most. Um, so that gave me a lot of confidence, just kind of going into floor and to just finish strong. And I was actually up uh, last to go in the competition. So that was 
that was pretty nerve wracking because I had to watch everybody else go and everybody else finish their routines and kind of get to take a breath of relief while I still had to go. Um, and then by that time too, I'd calculated the exact score that I needed to get on floor, uh, to win gold that night. And then knowing like the millions of people that were watching. So it was just like, mm, no pressure. Yeah. Just go up there and do it. You're fine. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had been hitting pretty good floor routines the whole time I was there. And like, I knew that I was capable of the score I needed to get. So Afghani was like, just go out there, have fun and stay in bounds. Like that's what you need to do. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we did. And I did same thing, like felt like that was one of the best floor routines I'd ever done and could have done right in the moment when it needed to happen. So, um, you know, walking off the podium and kind of like waiting those few minutes to see it, what my score was and if we did it or not, you know, you kind of think you did, but you got to wait, you know, maybe the judges saw something you didn't, you didn't know you did or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that felt like, you know, those couple of minutes felt like a couple hours and then like the score comes up and like, boom, see your name, you know, Carly Patterson, USA, number one. And it's just one of the most surreal and incredible moments of your life. And like, if Ganey lifted me up and it had me on her shoulders and we were waving to the crowd in the arena. And it was just like, so amazing to see people waving the American flag throughout the arena and chanting USA after, you know, doing something like that. It was like, wow. I mean, it's kind of indescribable moment, but yeah, that, you know, it's like ingrained in me forever, you know? Yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine a moment like that. How long did it take for it to sink in though? Like, did it take a long time for it to actually like settle in? Like, I actually did that. Or did, or did you wake up the next day and you're like, wow, I did that. Um, no, it took a while to sink in. It really did. Um, you know, I think being 16, being so young, you know, and just gymnastics always being my number one focus and that having that goal and, but then accomplishing it. And then you're kind of like, oh, well, what does that mean? Uh, now what? Like, I really did that, you know, mm -hmm. um, what's next? But it was, uh, you know, that night was a crazy night and I had to go straight into doing just all kinds of interviews. And, and so you're just kind of like on this adrenaline rush and high from, from winning and from that night. And, you know, I don't know what time I finally was able to go to bed that night, but, um, yeah, I think just going to sleep and I was like, I really don't think I realized what I did. And, and I knew I still had, um, beam finals two to go. So it was one of those things that like, I think I just put it out of my head. I was like, yeah. awesome. Another competition down, got another one to go, you know, and like kind of didn't really let myself think about it too much. Um, and then when I got home, I think that's when it may, it, it really did hit me then, um, just like getting to the airport and, and arriving and like having all the media and cameras in your face and interviews and all of that just right there as soon as you got home and that's when it kind of hit and doing all of the major talk shows and and things like that was just like okay like cool like people care about what I did <laughs> I just thought it was something I was doing for me and you know I didn't you know see anybody else like before me win an Olympic all around gold so like I didn't know what to expect so I just thought it was like cool I was gonna go back home go back to the gym keep training I don't know I was still in high school you know, and so then life just completely changed. So it was all, you know, fun and icing on the cake after that. But um, I had, yeah, no clue what to expect and what it truly meant and all of that. Did you get to see your family that had come to Athens? Did you get to see them after you won or did you have to wait a little bit? 
I got to see him that night, um, just kind of like outside of right outside the arena, um, and just give him a quick hug. And I showed them my medals and, you know, just long enough to like have a quick cry together and, and, you know, squeeze. And, um, and then it was, yeah, off to, off to interviews. And so then I saw them once we were like officially done, done. (laughs) How often do you go back and relive that whole experience? Like I know last year, I think it was the Olympic channel, like re-aired a lot of the Olympics and yours was one yeah. of them. And you did yeah. them live and you got Evgeny on. So I saw that, but was that like the first time you had watched it in a while or do you frequently <laughs> watch your successes? Do you pull out your medals and your leotard and just admire everything? <laughs> oh my gosh. No, no time for that around here with three kids, three and under. That's yeah. perfect. Um, no, quite honestly, gymnastics and what I did seems like such a lifetime ago. And my life is so different now that it's just like when I do watch it or, you know, for whatever reason, it's, it's just like a reminder of like, oh my gosh, I, I did do that. Like, I can't believe I did that. That's really awesome. But that was the first time, yeah, last year that I did watch it like that in its entirety. And that was super fun, especially um, because I got Afghani to answer the phone. And and then we just, we like FaceTimed after it was all done. It's like till I don't know what time um, with him and his wife. And we were just laughing and reminiscing and it was, it was pretty fun. But um, I, I mean, I do motivational speaking now. And so I do have the whole floor routine clip in that moment of winning and, and, you know, receiving my medal as a, as a video kind of towards the end when I'm explaining the whole night. And, um, so I do get to watch it when I, when I speak, um, which is always a cool moment and, you know, it really, it doesn't ever get old. It doesn't like, it's really, it's really, really cool. And I think, um, sometimes I forget that and I forget to kind of appreciate what I've done because like I said, my life looks so different now and gymnastics is just not like, in the forefront anymore um, for me. And so when I do get to look back, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> you also probably don't realize in that moment how many people you're inspiring. Because even like us, for example, she did gymnastics for like a short period of time. I never did. So like, we're not like people that like did gymnastics growing up. We were literally just fans our entire life. And it was because of you. It was watching you at the Olympics and the Olympic trials. <laughs> and so it's like, you've got people into gymnastics, not even because they wanted to be gymnasts, but just because they were so like interested in the sport and just like captivated by it. So mm-hmm. it just yeah. reach that you have, even sometimes, you know, back in like 2004, where there wasn't like the internet wasn't as big and like, <laughs> yeah, you just, we, we, uh, we didn't even have internet. No. I, I would go to school. I'm in like elementary school and I'd go and I'd print out pictures of you and just like, <laughs> I'd have like a book of just photos I printed out at school. <laughs> I was just like obsessed. <laughs> I know. I mean, times were so different. You know, we did not have all of the social media and honestly, I'm thankful. I mean, the pressure that the girls have to deal with now and just to, I don't know the way things are these days. It's just, it's crazy. And so I'm really glad that I did not have to deal with all that noise and pressure and extra stuff. And I was really able to like focus on myself and you know, gymnastics and just doing what I loved. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, when, when people would come up to me or, you know, even just still like a DM here and there, something that like I inspired them or still inspire them, um, is, is really awesome and rewarding and something I cherish and, you know, think is very special to still hear. And like that kind of a thing never gets old either. You know, it's just, if I can inspire anybody by what I did then, or, you know, how I live my life now, I think that's amazing. And, and I'm happy to kind of like 
have that role. And I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but I feel like I have to ask you about Simona Harkina because everybody is just so fascinated by her. <laughs> Do you have any like funny stories or any interesting stories, anything with Svalana that you could tell the people? Because I feel like people would just love to hear a really good Svalana story. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I don't really have like, I mean, I have one, um, but this is, you know, really only one, but I feel like she always, you know, I, I looked up to her, like I thought she was really cool. And, um, you know, being able to compete against her in my elite career was pretty crazy because she was the main, you know, she was the one everybody knew the judges knew her, like she was kind of this diva and queen in gymnastics at the time. And, um, you know, she would definitely try to use like intimidation tactics, I feel like, you know, but luckily me being like this naive little 16 year old girl, and I was just out there like doing what I loved and didn't care if she cut eyes at me or like, you know, said something or whatever. It was like, whatever, I'm just doing what I love here. Like you're not intimidating me, even though you're trying, you know, I just feel like she would always give looks kind of a thing. And, um, but after, after Olympic all around night, after winning, and we were in a press conference together, like me, her, and, and Zang, Zang Nan. Yeah, uh, I always pronounce it Zang <laughs> Okay. And um, we were all together doing interviews and, you know, the press is asking us questions and stuff. And Svetlana's talking in Russian. And so I don't know what she's saying when she's answering questions, but Evgeny, obviously my coach is from Russia and speaks Russian. So basically after that, press conference um he's like yeah she she was telling the media that she won gold <laughs> so um and that like you know she was the one that won gold she was the real olympic champion blah 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 and um no so, audacity yeah, well, press yeah. conference and say that in front of you it's not even like she's saying it and you're not around right that makes it okay but like the fact that she did that in front of you is just horrid <laughs> yeah I mean that was that was kind of like you know her personality like you know with even like competing against her you know kind of what I said like she just had that way about her and like attitude that you know she she, she was going to try and get to you, you know, and I think that's what she was trying to do, but girl, I don't speak Russian. So I don't know what you're saying. Um, <laughs> and we just kind of had a good laugh about it after the fact, because that was what was said in like the Russian press too, like the next day, like from her interviews and stuff. And so Ganey and I were like, well, I don't think so. Cause the gold medal's in our hands. So right. tell what you need to say, girl. Google it, And like the internet is going to pull up who won the 2004 Olympics. I don't know if she knows yeah. that, but your name is there, not hers. Yeah. So that's, that's my one funny Svetlana story that I have, but one more quick one. I don't know if you've been asked this before, but there's this picture of you guys on the medal stand and she's like pointing to your medal. Do you remember what was happening there? She's saying that's mine. Give it to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's what you'd think. Um, yes, she was trying to tell me how to hold it the proper way. Oh, okay. Okay. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess in fairness, she probably was at that time very experienced with winning medals. We'll give her that. But... Right, right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, let me change the way I'm holding my medal here. Because <laughs> so a funny. lot of people I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> What was, in your opinion, the coolest post-Olympic experience that you got to do? Because you were in Stick It, you were on like a bunch of TV appearances. What was the coolest thing for you? 
Um, I've always said being on the Wheaties box uh, was one of the coolest things because, you know, you look at the Wheaties box and if you get to be on that, I feel like you've made it as an athlete. So that was a really, really cool thing. And then just kind of doing all of the the late night talk show rounds and, you know, Letterman and Leno and Ellen and just all of those um, things and award shows and things that like I had never done before. Like, I don't know what that life was like or whatever. So, you know, you feel like a, a celebrity for a little while and it's fun to kind of live that life and get to do some fun things like that. But once again, I think I was just, I was still so young that like, I didn't even know what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of enjoying the ride and, um, like I said, I didn't know any of those people were going to care to talk to me or that that was what was going to come next or, um, you know, get receiving awards and being recognized for what I did and that kind of thing. Um, you know, like I said, that was all just kind of icing on the cake. Cause I had no clue what to expect. And yeah. so I was going to go back to the gym, go back to school and keep living life the way I was living it, you know, yeah. um, but everything, you know, definitely got turned upside down for sure. And it was fun for a little while. <laughs> did you actually go back to school or like your public school? I did. And I, I wasn't in public school at that time, but I was in um, like a private school for athletes that kind of worked with our schedules of, you know, being in the gym for however many hours. So oh, yeah, cool. I, had, I still had two, two more years of high school to finish after that. <laughs> so when did you actually retire? Cause I know you were training for a little bit afterwards, but you obviously never competed again. So when did you actually, you know, step away from the sport? I officially retired uh, when I was 18. So uh, in 2006, I guess I was still in the gym and, you know, trying to keep some sort of shape for shows and things like that for a little while after. But um, my back was, I think a lot of people probably know this, um, but my back was just giving me a lot of trouble um, from bulging discs and um, just a lot of pain with that. And so basically my doctor was like, you, you know what, if you want to not worry about quality of life later on, like, I think it's best if you retire, you know, if, if you're okay with that, like, you know, think about that decision, whatever. But, and I, and I was like, after that, I was like, you know what, I, I kind of thought about it and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to go for after this. I mean, I guess I could, but like, I think my, my back pain was so much that I was ready to just kind of be done and like let my back heal and feel better and normal again. Was it hard for you to transition from like having such like a structured life and training and then kind of just living a life outside of gymnastics? Because I feel like that would be really hard. Like you, you spend your whole life doing like the same thing and then suddenly you're not doing it anymore. What was that like for you? Yeah, exactly. It, it was hard. Um, and I would dare to say that most, um, high level lead Olympic athletes, uh, go through that and go through that stage. It's just kind of probably something we all have to go through because you've done something since uh, being a little girl. And that's kind of all I knew and working towards these big goals and then finally accomplishing them. And then wondering what's next, you know, when you're not in the gym 24 seven and, you know, constantly kind of being told what to do and like, okay, this is your assignment. This is how many routines we're going to do this, how many skills we're going to do, whatever. Like you're constantly kind of just like getting told what to do versus like now going out to the real world and kind of thinking for yourself and like making decisions on your own and like, okay, what, what is next for me and in my life? And what is my next passion going to be? And what do I want to do next? It was yeah, it was definitely a time of like searching and difficult because that 
that fame of, of gymnastics and coming off the Olympics, that was all, you know, really dying down. Like I said, I was back in school and, you know, like the next Olympics were coming up. And so it's just one of those transition periods where you kind of feel like down, you know, and you just don't know what's next for you. And so, yeah, I definitely went through that and then decided to, you know, start trying other things and, you know, started trying a singing career and, you know, went to college and, you know, just kind of started trying to pursue other things and trying them out and see what I was going to do next, what, what I was going to be passionate about next. And, um, you know, and then I met my husband, Mark, who, you know, now we're married and have three kids. And so, like I said, my life is completely different these days. And I think that's when life like really started to change, um, for me too. And just, after meeting him and getting married and kind of like truly moving on from just, I don't know, previous life and all of that. And just starting to focus on like, all right, building a family, like this is a huge goal and and dream that I, that I'd always had as well, you know? And so, um, focusing on family and, and just raising good kids and being a good mom and a good wife and having a good marriage and, you know, all of those things. It's, that's, you, I guess that's what I'm moving on to. Like a question you guys didn't even ask me, like, what are you up to now? Like <laughs> we were going to ask you, don't worry. <laughs> um, do you still keep up with gymnastics today? Do you watch it all? I do. I do. I try to, um, you know, and a little bit embarrassed to admit that I don't keep up with it as much as I'd like, um, you know, just like last weekend trying to watch championships. It's like I'm trying to watch it at the same time. I'm trying to like feed kids, put the kids down for naps, for bed, for like whatever, like, and it's, so it's all, it's at all these times where it's like a really bad time for me to be able to like sit down and watch something and like keep up. So, but luckily we have, you know, social media and I'm able to kind of like scroll through and watch like the highlights of routines and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so funny now because, you know, I would, I would love to just be able to sit down and watch everything and keep up with everything and know who everybody is. But like, at this point in my life, it's really difficult. Yeah, uh, yeah I bet. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I like rush back in. I'm like, oh, got to catch that routine. Okay, I gotta go do this. And you know, so it's did you um, see yeah. Chelsea at all competing? Because she was your world teammate from 2003. Did you get to watch her at all? Yeah, I did. And I got to I watched her routines back on, you know, just through social media and stuff. And yeah, she, I mean, I've been following her journey too. Um you know, this last, however long she's been in the gym and started posting about it. So it's been really cool to see her and to watch her and amazing that she, that like her body's allowing her to continue doing stuff that she did and things that she didn't even do yet as, you know, an elite gymnast, however long that was ago, nine years. Well, it was nine years between when she retired in 2012. So, I mean, I just, I can't imagine. I think yeah. that my, my head watching her, I'm always like, gosh, I, I could not do that <laughs> right now. Like I couldn't imagine. Yeah. And she, she has two kids of her own. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So super impressive and inspiring and what a cool story for gymnastics and, and the time and, and everything to just have like someone so positive and happy and just really enjoying the sport and the love that she has for it. So to just go out there doing it for her, really, really cool to see. And then I wanted to ask you about 
your experience with camps, national team camps, because your generation was like one of the first to actually have to go to camps every single month. And you had national team coordinator. And did you like all of that? Do you think that that helped your gymnastics? Um, I didn't necessarily like love going there. Um, I would have much rather just always gotten to stay home and train at my own gym. But I think some of the positives from my experience with, with going to camp was, you know, getting to train with the girls that are on the national team that you didn't get to see, you know, a lot of the times or that you didn't get to train with a lot of the time. So I think, um, that and training with them, I think that all helped us all to be better gymnasts, um, you know, and to just kind of know what the other one was doing. So when we knew if we needed to like step up our game or, you know, do upgrades or whatever. Like, I think we all push each other to just be better gymnasts and to be prepared and to be ready. And I think that's also what camp did for me. Um, just because you, you know, anytime we went there, you wanted to be prepared and ready and on your game. And you wanted to show your best, um, because you wanted to build trust in the selection committee. You wanted to build trust that you were going to, they, they could select you and they could count on you and they could trust that you were going to go out there and do a good job. Right. So, you know, I think in that aspect, it definitely always helped keep me on my toes, um, and keep me prepared and ready. But like I said, um, was it my favorite place to go and have to do that? No. (laughs) You mentioned it briefly, but I wanted to ask you a little bit more about it. You're Patterson beam dismount that still to this day is one of the hardest beam dismounts that's being done. And honestly, not that many people do it because it's that hard. And no one does it as well as you did it. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening that is either wants to be an elite gymnast, maybe we have some elite gymnasts listening. What is the like key to doing that skill so well? We want to hear from the innovator herself. (laughs) Um, gosh, you know, I did a tumbling dismount for as long as I can remember. Um, and I think that is what helped really do. I mean, that's what helped give me the, the power I needed for the, the double Arabian at the end. Like, I don't think I, you know, could have done it near as well if I did it from a round off, like doing it from that round off back handspring was like tumbling on the floor, you know, and I, and I did an Arabian, a single Arabian in my beam routine. And I did a double Arabian as a tumbling pass in my floor routine. So I felt like I was very comfortable and good at Arabians, double Arabians, that skill in general. And, um, you know, I did round up back handspring double back for so long, um, training that, you know, one day we just decided we're like, let's just try double Arabian. What do you think? You know, and me being, um, this kind of more so fearless gymnast of like, if my coaches wanted me to try something or asked me to try something, I would totally do it. And I think we, we knew that obviously if we could, if I could master this skill and get it put in my routine, that I would be the first to do it and, um, you know, possibly get it named after me. And so I think that was a big incentive there as well to like make it happen. But I don't know. I just always felt really comfortable doing it. And, um, you know, beam was, was my favorite event was my best event. I always just felt really comfortable on beam and like, I was kind of tumbling on the floor. So don't get me wrong. It was definitely a scary skill at times. Um, you know, there were those days where I was just like off for whatever reason, and it was not working out. Um, and I didn't like those days at all, but you know, for the most part, like I would just try and focus on like a good round out by handspring. And as long as I could get that, 
you know, like straight over the top of the beam and get that, that power and that confidence going into the double Arabian. I knew that I would be fine on that second half of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool to think that that is still like one of the hardest tricks that you can do. Like that, like really is something super cool for me. Um, I know I can't even, I can't even think of anyone who, like who's currently competing that does that. I and mean, I'm sure there is somebody that I'm just not thinking of at the moment. Like I know Allie Raisman did it. Yeah. There's been a few, but yeah. you're right. You don't, you don't see it because it's very difficult and it's very risky, right? It's also mm-hmm. like blind landing. Like it's not one of those easy stickable dismounts. And I mean, you're doing it after you're kind of tired at the end of your routine and that's still takes a lot of energy and power. And it's a big skill to have to do at the end of a routine. Um, you know, and I don't think beam is a lot of people's best or favorite events. So I think to, to attempt a skill like that, or to kind of have that like in your routine, um, is going to be difficult, but I would, I would love to, to see it done more. Um, but yeah, it's super cool that it's stood the test of time. Yeah, yeah. it truly has. <laughs> Um, you touched on this a little bit already as well, but just tell us what you're up to these days. I know you just had another baby in February, so congratulations. Congrats. What's Thank mom you. life like and what kind of things you are? <laughs> oh gosh, you guys. Um, mom life is hard. It's uh pretty exhausting. Um, but you know what? There there was there was a lot of um struggle and and pain and tears that went into trying to like get our family started and um, you know, and a lot of heartache. And so to have kind of gone through that time in our life and now to look back and have three kids three years later, it's just like, you couldn't have told me that this is what my life would have looked like, like four, four or five years ago, you know, I would have laughed and said, you're crazy. Um, but it is, it's just amazing. Like mom life and just family life just is really, truly the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. It is also the hardest thing I've ever done. I I'm exhausted all the time. I mean, and that's partly due to having a newborn still. Um, so, I mean, I'm still just not getting good sleep and waking up in the middle of the night and all that, but, um, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's true what they say. It's just the most rewarding and most exhausting thing at the same time. And, my focus these days is just my kids and and my husband and my family. And just, um, you know, like I said earlier, like raising good, good, respectable little human beings. And, um, and they're so cute. They all have their own little personalities and and traits about them. And, you know, you just look at them and you're like, like, I made you like you were like, you know, to just have something that's like a part of you literally is just pretty crazy. But that along with, um, you know, motivational speaking, doing that, I've been doing that a lot lately and it's, that's picked up and been super fun. Um, and to just be able to like share the life lessons and, and the skills and the things that I learned all growing up through, through gymnastics and just through life, even post gymnastics to, um, you know, to kind of be able to share those lessons that are really, you know, any high level athlete or professional athlete is they've all got amazing stories and great lessons that they've learned along the way. They're applicable to anyone in doing whatever you're doing in life, whether you're a mom or, you know, an athlete yourself, or you're climbing the corporate ladder, like whatever it is, all of these lessons are are great lessons to share with anybody, no matter what walk of life you're in or on. And so that's super fun for me to get to do that and to share my story 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have time for right now. And See, that's a lot for that. You sound pretty busy. <laughs> When I'm preparing for like a speech or something, I have to get up at like four in the morning before all the kids are up to like actually like get any time like peace and quiet because, you know, once kids are up, it's like the chaos ensues until they go at night and there's no stopping. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one last question for you. I guess what advice would you give to all of the girls who are training for this summer's Olympics and trying to make that team as somebody who has been there before and has been at the very top, what advice would you give to them? You know, from the looks of it, I don't think any of these girls need any advice. They all look so poised and ready and prepared, um, you know, from what I've been able to watch, but it's, um, you know what, it's just one of those times where you just have to enjoy every moment, soak every moment in trust in your training, trust your coaches. Um, you know, at this point, it's so mental that it's all about going out there and doing what you already know how to do. So, you know, taking that kind of taking that deep breath to, to release the pressure off of yourself and just going up there, doing what you do every single day in training. And, you know, I know, I feel like that's probably been said time and time again, but it's, it's just the truth. You know, you just have to go up there and do what you know how to do what you do every single day and not let that mental, mental aspect get to you and have fun, of course. But they all look, that's, that's one of the really cool things about watching gymnastics too. Now it's like, everybody looks like they're having a great time. And I just, so, yeah, it's a totally different, at least I I think it's a totally different environment. I'm not obviously in it, so I don't know, but the girls do seem like they're enjoying themselves a lot more than in in years past. So yeah, good to see. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. And of course, thank you again to Carly for taking the time out of your very busy day to come join us on our show. We know with all those kids running around the house, you're very, very busy. So we appreciate it so, so much. And we hope our listeners enjoyed the interview as much as we did. We will be back next week with two very special guests. We have former Michigan gymnast Liv Karras and her dad Jim on the show. And they're going to be talking about the book that they recently published called Confessions of a Division 1 athlete so we will be talking about what inspired the book the process of writing it basically the whole scoop on that so until then we hope you guys have a wonderful week and we'll be back next monday with another episode bye Bye.